This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The team is up for sale, their payroll is low, and their coach is interim. Still, Real Salt Lake, the lowest-ranked team in the MLS playoffs, has made it to the Western Conference Final. Matt Pence is here to talk about what he's seen from the team in their two playoff upsets and how they'll match up with the Portland Timbers on Saturday. I'm Alex Abnos, and this is Soccer Every Day for Wednesday, December 1st. Matt Pence, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, we're going to ru- run quickly through this Western Conference final in the MLS playoffs. Whoever wins this game will go on to MLS Cup. And it's not the matchup I think any of us would have expected coming into this bracket. We've got seventh-seeded Real Salt Lake visiting fourth-seeded Portland Timbers, the lowest possible seed that could host this game, um, or at least be guaranteed to host this game. Matt, when I... When you saw that that was going to be the matchup, what was your reaction? What's your, what are your ov- overall thoughts on this game to to kick us off? I mean, it just kind of confirms how chaotic these playoff games can be, honestly, uh, and just how this format, uh, very entertaining, uh, maybe flawed when it comes to determining a quote-unquote true champion, um, but it's definitely one of those like random number generator type matchups especially when it comes to Salt Lake. But I also hadn't realized that Portland, despite being the fourth seed in the West, they would theoretically host MLS Cup against everybody but New England. Um, And so especially depending on how we're recording this on a Tuesday evening before the Revs game, they could have a lot on the line. Um, And the the possibility, if you had told them, or if you had told me a couple weeks ago that the Timbers would host MLS Cup, I don't think I would have had that. Uh, really mapped out, but they're one game away at home. Got to feel, got to be feeling pretty good. I would imagine. It's certainly one of the quirks of the way the MLS playoffs work uh, that a team like Portland can come in seated fourth in their own conference and host MLS cup over say, perhaps the set, if the union make it uh, there, they will be the second seeded team versus the fourth seeded team. And the fourth seeded team will be hosting with, I think it's justifiable, but anyway, uh, we'll, we'll let's let's address each of these teams. Uh, Matt, you had the great uh, fortune question mark to be in attendance for one of the most bizarre games of soccer I've ever seen anywhere in MLS or otherwise. Uh, the Real Salt Lake win over Seattle uh, win is maybe a strong word for what that was. It was a nil-nil tie after 90 minutes and after 120 minutes. Real Salt Lake did not take a single shot. They won in penalties by a 6-5 to five margin. Matt, what was that game like to see in person? And what did you learn about Salt Lake that night that you didn't already know? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I have had the undoubted fortune of being able to attend a lot of MLS playoff games over the last half decade or so. Um, and pretty much all I ask at this point out, out of a playoff game like this is that it's memorable. And that one was certainly memorable. Uh, I think it'll kind of be, kind of go down as one of those epics that gets brought up by each fan base for a long time just because of how, I mean, again, all you really have to say is the team won without taking a single shot in regulation. And I mean, it's kind of like this oddity in and of itself. And I, I think I made this case in the story I wrote off of the game. Um, a lot of people compared it to the Sounders not taking a single shot on goal at the 2016 MLS Cup final and maybe soccer karma coming back around after all these years. And while it might seem a little bit paradoxical, I actually think that it was like less embarrassing to not take a shot at all than to not have a shot on goal because it represents this like commitment to this very specific, rigid tactical style. Um, and I think that that was my biggest takeaway from that game was just how willing that team was to go all in on Pablo Mastroeni's game plan, even though it wasn't pretty in any way at all. I mean, those guys were, diving into tackles, throwing themselves in front of shots, hustling back every time they dared step over midfield. Um, it was an all out. I mean, again, maybe over the years, for whatever reason, I feel like I have gained a greater appreciation for like defensive disciplined soccer. Sure. Um, and so while it wasn't entertaining, it was a fascinating watch. Um, and you did kind of have that sense going into penalties Maybe I didn't because I've watched the Sounders like pull games out for so many years now, especially in the playoffs. Like it was hard for me to believe that they were actually going to lose all the way until the end. But in the stadium, you could feel those nerves settle in the longer it went. Um, and so, yeah, overall, I, I just came away impressed with their connection to Pablo, despite not having that long of a time under him. Like, they were very willing to go all in under his sort of strategy, despite everything else that's been going on with that club. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really uh, impressive the way they've found that thing that works for them and stuck to it. For me, the indicative stat is less so the shots. I mean, the shots are obviously, you know, notable in their own way, but they didn't get a corner until the 110th minute. Like, that's, that's, that's real commitment to the bit. That means you're not even, you're not even trying. Uh, and you're and you're okay with that. Um, they they came out of their show a little bit in the next round against Sporting Kansas City, where once again they got a they got kind of an upset win against a uh, a Sporting KC side that just frankly didn't entirely show up at home for whatever reason. Um, did you watch the game? And what did you think of that as a follow up? I you know usually when teams get these big upsets, very often they get one and they get uh, upset in the next round by a team that knows what they're approaching but that's not what happened here no i did watch it and i was very impressed in a different way because i expected if salt lake was going to do it again i expected them to kind of like lean on a very similar blueprint and they did not i mean they actually i think you could say they kind of dominated at least a large portion of that game especially the second half and yeah it was still definitely predicated on counterattacking and kind of soaking up kansas city's attacks and then running the other way but like i don't know i they were as committed but to a slightly tweaked game plan and it really worked for them which i think it's going to be pretty interesting to see 
how they approached this game in Portland, not to get too ahead of ourselves. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that you've a lot of credit should go to Pablo Mastrani, who maybe was a little bit maligned as a Colorado Rapids head, head coach, despite the success that he had there. I vividly remember in 2016, I, I covered the Sounders Rapids Western Conference final. And there was a pregame press conference the day before the final. And one of the Denver media people was like, if you guys don't win on Sunday, are you worried about your job because of how defensive you guys have been playing and like the ownership's not happy. And that later, it kind of ended up coming true. If you see all the statements that came out later from Rapids ownership and leadership, they like, they weren't happy with how defensive they were playing, but it's like, I was just like, this is insane. Like he has led this team that has no budget to the conference final and he's getting questioned about his job. Um, so it was maybe set up to fail to a certain extent in that particular role. Uh, so, I mean, good on him for being able to show off that he definitely has like a smart tactical mind in his own way. And the way he has coached these last two games has been really, really striking, I think, with what they pulled off. Do you like Formula One, but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. On the other side, of course, we have the Portland Timbers uh, right up in your neck of the woods. Not Seattle, obviously, but nearby. You, you, you visit down there fairly often. They started off the playoffs with a 3-1 win over Minnesota United. And then on Thanksgiving Day, pulled out a 1-0 win, 1-0 over Colorado. Um, what have you seen from the Timbers in these games? I think it's notable that they'll be missing both Sebastian Blanco and probably Darion Espria for this game. Uh, Blanco because of injury. He is, of course, just coming back from a from a torn ACL, uh, but had a had a what looked like a pretty severe hamstring injury in, in that game uh, against Colorado. And he is there. He we, we talked about him last time you were on, Matt. You you said you you had forgotten how good that guy is at soccer, and it's really too bad that we're not going to see any more of him in these playoffs because he, on his day, is probably one of the most exciting players in the league. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think you particularly saw that in the first round um, against Minnesota. I mean, it was one of those games where he kind of toggles into that playoff hero mode, and, and he really dominated so much of that game and just dictated. It. it showed all of his best qualities and his ability to just dictate tempo while also having that eye for the killer pass. He's such a valuable player to them in particular, but he would be on any team, that ability to just kind of run everything through him. And so his absence, it's going to be interesting because Portland, I mean, maybe uh, a, an okay sign for them that this isn't a, a full disaster is that they they played a lot of this season without him. They didn't play great, but they found a way to at least stay competitive and stay within range of the playoffs despite missing him for, I think it probably ended up being at least half the year, at least in terms of the good part of Blanco. Um, so they know how to play without him. That, that's why I think tactically it's going to be very interesting because – Salt Lake has shown that they, their first two games were very much about soaking up pressure, playing defensively, playing on the break. 
Portland, when they've been without Blanco, very similar because they don't have that attacking fulcrum, very conservative, very sort of make the other team beat themselves. So it's going to be two teams that are kind of waiting for the other one to make the first move. Although something we didn't mention with Salt Lake was that Albert Ruznak might be coming back, um, mm-hmm. having the last two games with COVID. Um, he's kind of their version of Blanco to a certain extent in terms of how he can transform the way they look. But again, it's like, how much do you want to get away from the formula that you've been using? It's going to be really interesting in that aspect. And I think the Timbers with uh, Giovanni Severesi, like, they probably have to go for it a little bit at home, playing against the seven seed. You have this amazing opportunity in your hands to maybe not only go to MLS Cup, but to host MLS Cup. I mean, you can imagine what the scene would be like down there. Um, Portland hosting an MLS Cup at Providence Park, and they're all of a sudden right there. Uh, so I think the pressure is on Portland to come out strong, to dictate the game. Maybe Diego Valeri has a throwback type performance. Um, they definitely still have weapons, but yeah, his absence is going to be really, really significant. Well, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Uh, Portland against RSL is at 6.30 p.m. Eastern on Fox Sports 1, and that is the Saturday game. Matt, thank you th- so much for uh, for coming on the show. Anytime. Elsewhere in soccer today, it's a big day in a bunch of different leagues, uh, especially in Serie A, as all of the teams on top of the standings are in action. Inter Milan plays Spezia at 12.30 p.m., while Milan plays Genoa and Sassuolo plays Napoli at 2.45 p.m. All those games are on Paramount+. Plus. It's also a big day in the Premier League. League leaders Chelsea take on Watford at 2.30 on Peacock, but at 3.15 p.m. it's the Merseyside Derby, Liverpool versus Everton. That'll be on NBCSN and definitely worth a watch. If Premier League isn't your fancy, though, there's also a fairly big game in Ligue 1 in France. Nice versus PSG. They are the top two teams in the league, although PSG has a sizable lead there, so it's not exactly a title challenge yet. If Nice is able to pull off an upset, they'll close the gap a little bit, though. In Spain, Real Madrid is in action. They play Athletic Bilbao at 3 p.m. That's on ESPN+. This show is produced by Mike Zimmerman with help from John Hayes. You can get ad-free versions of the show by subscribing to The Athletic, and you can get 33% off a year subscription by going to theathletic.com slash soccer every day. Thanks for listening, and happy soccer to you all.